Hey everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of The Bookshelf. I'm Stephen McKay. I'm Dalton Claghorn. And we are going to talk about you being a god. A little god. Doesn't that sound attractive? I mean, it's just so attractive that you, did you know that you, please hear us out, you could be a little god. No, you can't. That's a bunch of garbage. It's funny, nobody ever jumps at the prospect of becoming an overweight god. They just want to be little ones. <laughs> what? <laughs> they don't, they don't think their physical features come into uh, uh, you know, their head. You know, there's a, uh, a lot of garbage that goes on in the world today mm -hmm. in, the world, in the name of, of Christianity. A lot of garbage goes on in Charlotte on a weekly basis and, uh, at one particular, one particular place that yeah, I'm thinking of. You're right. And, and it's just, it's sad because, you know, we live in a generation uh, if you would rewind time about 100 years ago, um, there's, we lived in a different age where people actually read their Bible and got into <laughs> the Word. <laughs> and uh, they, they really you know, knew the Word. But we live in a generation where people don't read the Word. So you're duped into believing the false doctrine of um, heretics that teach um, you know, like this. You are and can be a little God. Taking Scripture out of context, uh, you know, is an easy way to create a mass following. Yeah. And uh, this is uh, I, I will sad. say, I was very surprised. Uh, we, we watched a video of different... Um, Individuals? Preaching mm -hmm. this doctrine. And I was very surprised to see Francis Chan on there. When I, did, when I was I, too. Yeah, when I looked all this up the first time, um, you know, obviously you can expect like Stephen Furtick and Kenneth Copeland. Yep. And, and, uh, uh, and Benny Hinn. And Benny Hinn. And, and what's and, that? Uh, Todd, Todd White. White. And Bill Johnson. Like you would expect those guys. But I, I, Francis Chan surprised me, for yeah, sure. Maybe, I don't know, uh, we'd have to look into that. But it's, it's really, really interesting because um, uh, we are just, there's so much um, garbage <laughs> that is produced. And my, my thought was going to, um, uh, oh, this is what I was thinking about, Dalton. We were just talking about this off camera, of how the Word of God, pull up the Scripture, the Word of God talks to us and commands us, Paul commands us to ensure that we are uh, teaching and preaching mm. sound doctrine. Yes, yes, And yes, we yes. have a right. And some people say, well, you guys are, are you know, hard. And, and uh, you, you know, you, I, actually, I actually have one individual uh, because I, I sat in a class um, with a friend of mine uh, on uh, biblical economics in uh, um, Bible, Bible school, and we're sitting here, and the teacher was giving us this, um, you know, the syllabus. In the syllabus, it was basically, you know, that when <laughs> Jesus was, when, <laughs> when Jesus was, before he was two years old, he was a multimillionaire, and the gifts that uh, were brought to Christ mm -hmm. by the wise men, yeah. uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were, was a uh, the equivalent of a king's ransom. Yeah, like hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, so like, before he was two. Yeah, infant, infant baby Jesus. And, was... and I, I, I looked at my teacher and uh, my professor, and I said, you don't believe this garbage, do you? And he was like, well, what do you mean? And I, I said, uh, you can't tell me that... <laughs> The babe that laid in the manger was a multimillionaire before he was two, and then you know uh, worked as a carpenter. Not even just a multimillionaire. They were. I, I think the number was somewhere oh, around like three hundred. Like, it was million. It was yeah. like an absurd, and, like like beyond even a millionaire. It was yeah, <laughs> like 
It was, it was just so stupid. And, and he actually went on to say that, uh, you know, in Jesus's ministry, there was so much money thrown at him that Judas had to carry around the wealth, uh, the offering in a wheelbarrow around town, you know, carrying around money. And it's just like common sense tells you that this is nonsense. You know, I, I, I've never... I've never gotten this out of my Baptist buddies. Never. I mean, this I, is so... You know, I've only ever gotten this out of my super spiritual people. It's yep. like, you're spiritual, but you can't see this. You can't see co- common like, sense says. And so this is... I brought all that up to say, I challenged my professor. Oh, and I got the... Uh, yeah. yeah. I challenged my professor and I said, um, you cannot tell me you believe this stuff. <laughs> and uh, he was like, uh. he was like, well... You know, I, and I was, I said, I know this is a bunch of Kenneth Copeland garbage. I know it is. And um, uh, he looked at me. He was like, well, I just, you know, I, I refrain from touching the man of God. I refrain. The Bible says, you know, um, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. And it's, we use that verse in yeah. this culture to escape away from dealing with false doctrine. I just got a thought. If Give you thought. are preaching a gospel that's the wrong gospel, you're not dealing with a prophet of God. You're dealing with a prophet of Satan. Yeah, that's right. A false prophet. That's right. If it's not... But even I, still... Hey, you know what? I got, a, I got a, a, a great individual that speaks into my life. Um, and he, he said that um, early on in his ministry... And I want you to read this. But yeah. he said early on in his ministry, uh, his church would say, and quote this all the time, we will go wherever the hand of Scripture takes us. We will go wherever the hand of Scripture takes mm. us. There, there's a movement today that uh, is, you know, just outside of that. We will go wherever we want, regardless if Scripture takes us there or not. And that's uh, you've got to be very, very careful, careful with who you're listening to mm. um, uh, on video, social media. Yeah. Just be careful. So, preface it this way: David says for the first time in First Samuel, "I will not touch the Lord's anointed," in reference to Saul. Then, the, oh, the, the other time that this verse is used is Psalms. in Psalm 105, which mm-hmm. was a psalm that was written by David. And he says, again, that phrase about the Lord's anointed. That means it's in reference to kill. Like, David had the opportunity to kill Saul and when he said and that. And Saul was the one chosen and anointed yes. for king. And so he's saying, in dealings with killing bad preachers, like <laughs> killing <laughs> the Lord's anointed. And so two things before we read this verse... <laughs> It's completely different than yeah, uh, correcting. It's apples and oranges. <laughs> so the second thing that would would mention is the fir- the first point is that this was in context in the Old Testament to killing someone. Second thing is the instruction that we are given to handle people in the church in the New Testament would so take precedent over context of a conversation from the Old Testament that it's not even worth mentioning what David said because it has no bearing into what's written in the New Testament. Absolutely. Like what David said in context to Saul has nothing to do with what Paul was writing in regards to how churches to the church exactly. So the operation and the function of the church and the office of the teacher and the elder of the church has to be make you got to make sure that who's teaching is and and so what Paul says in First Timothy is. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, he says, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a doctrine, a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Mm. and teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great great gain. gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is, all, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I find it interesting, Dalton, that, that all of that is within the same context of Scripture. You know, it's very important for us to understand context, context, context. Where was it written and what else was written around it? So he mm. goes into false doctrine and uh, he, Paul also goes into the love of money. And it's like, was he dealing with the same nonsense then as we are dealing with it today? I think so. Obviously, you know. Stephicus Ferticus was a <laughs> prominent <laughs> Greek, oh, man. Greek preacher yes. <laughs> that Paul had to deal with. <laughs> I just, <laughs> sorry guys, <laughs> that struck a funny bone in me. Um, so we have the opportunity, uh, the scripture warrants us the right to defend truth. It mandates you, go read, okay, if, I, I really would encourage you, go read First and Second Timothy and go and read Titus. Look at what is required for somebody to uphold the office of pastoral ministry. Think about Look it. at what it takes, how serious of a calling it is. Then go and read Jesus and all that Jesus says about either being for me or against me and all that Jesus says about being lukewarm. Hmm. Okay, when you put those ideas together, it means either this is the type of preacher that you are, this is the type of minister you right. are, or you were fundamentally opposed to that which is real and you actually are an operative of Satan. Yeah, Th- you, you got to really take stock of your own self. Because you this are is, mandated and, to deal with this stuff. We are mandated. And also, I want you to, you know, all you, you teachers, pastors, preachers, leaders that are out there that are listening to this, the Bible says that we are held to a higher, we will be held to a higher standard of judgment. You know, we, we disregard the idea of, you know, different levels of punishment in hell, you know, all that stuff. But, but truthfully, we have, uh, and we will be judged in a greater sense than that of the common people because yes. we are the ones handling truth. If we mishandle truth, and I teach you that you, you, because you are created by God, are a little God. You know, Kenneth Copeland said that uh, in one of his videos that when uh, uh, God said in... in, in uh, to Moses. Yeah, in to numbers, Moses. Right? Yes, that's right, in Numbers. That I am... Is it Numbers? Exodus. Exodus. That I am, that I am... Uh, Kenneth Copeland just smiled and said, when he says that, he said, I know, I am too. I am God too. It's a load of it's garbage. Just, it's just a bunch okay, of so their so reasoning. Their reasoning for why this is a thing is they go to John 10, 34. Uh, yeah, and I had it open. John 10, 34. You got it? I got it. I got it right here. I'll beat you. Jesus answered them, <laughs> it is, not, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. Yeah. That's it. That's the whole doctrine. <laughs> and is it not written in your law? I said that you are gods. Okay, first of all, the next verse says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came. So right here you, you have, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods, little g. The next verse it says again, if he called them gods, little g, to whom the word of God, big g, came. Automatically, just from Separation. reading the verse, if you have eyeballs, you see that this is a little g and a big g, and I believe in Braille, <laughs> it even would still be capitalized. So even if you did not have eyeballs, you have no excuse. But Jesus is quoting a scripture. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's quoting Old Testament in Judges. He's talking about um, 
that uh, Psalm eighty two actually <laughs> got me all, all mixed up. <laughs> Braille. <laughs> okay, he's talking about um, you know the gods that he's talking about here are judges over men. You know, he's not talking about you know a, a divine entity. You know, no. we are we are, co- we are we are on the same plane as God. It's just. Um, it's nonsense. So when Jesus says God, God's here, he's quoting Psalms 82, which is refers, yeah. referred to yeah. judges as gods, yeah. as I said. So the basis of their belief is taking a verse that Jesus was quoting. Not, that was not even Jesus' original thought. Okay, well, actually it was because he was God and the scriptures were God-inspired. So, yeah, but technicality. So they're taking a verse that Jesus was quoting out of context. And then their defense for why you can't come at them is also quoting the Old Testament out of context. For you can't touch the Lord's anointed. You know, I'll give you an example. This is the reason why we, it's, it's so important for us to keep everything in context of Scripture. Where it was written, when it was written, why it was written. We've got to understand this because you can take a Scripture in, in the New Testament, two Scriptures in the New Testament, where it, says, uh, John, uh, where it says Judas went and hung himself. And another part of the Scripture says, go and do likewise. You know, you can, you can <laughs> literally take yeah. two things out of, out of context and have people committing suicide. Yeah. You cannot take it out of context. Yeah. You know, context actually kind of... It's uh, doles most good preaching. Yeah, like, it does. Typically, what, what you have in preaching is not preaching within the context of the Scripture. You read the Scripture, and, and it, pops out, it, yeah, it pops out at you in a way that you like. Yep. And so you then preach that Scripture with your interpretation. Well, we that's what to. happened. So this is what we also have in the Old Testament. If you want to combat this doctrine that you are little gods with more Old Testament, let's yep. go to Psalms 51.5. Okay. okay, ready? Behold, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. How, how can you be a God? So, uh, Mark 7.21 says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, theft, murders, and adulteries. adulteries. John 3.19 said, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for the deeds, their deeds were evil. So, if we are gods, and we're evil, and God is also a God, then He's not even worth worshiping. Because if we can exist as his competition and sinfulness to his righteousness, then there's no point of even being in submission to him. It, it For makes... God to be God, he has to be so supremely above us that there's no thought of even wondering if we're on the same level as him. And why, why the desire, you know? It's, it also feeds into the... the lust of the human flesh for power, you mm, know, yeah. and title and entitlement, yeah. you know, uh, to say that, um, you know, I, I have, and as, as they all said, you can look it up, just, you know, compilation of, of videos of these guys claiming that, you know, on the outside is, is, you know, flesh man, but on the inside, I am as God is. And it's just, just so foreign in the concept of every single day, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, crucify the flesh. You know, if we've been, if we've been made equal and we have that same divinity within us, uh, or th- that brings us to the same level of God, why do you struggle? Yeah. You know, why do you have to d- deny yourself? Why do you have to crucify the flesh? Yeah. You know, it, it, it just, it goes totally yeah. against Scripture. Yeah, yeah you want to know why Stephen Furtick is more popular than Kenneth Copeland. When Kenneth Copeland, they actually both use the same passage, talking about God talking to Moses. Kenneth Copeland preaches it, and he says, when God told Moses, I am that I am, I smile, and I say, I am too. So Kenneth Copeland takes that passage and makes it about him. Stephen Furtick quotes mm. the same passage, and he says, God tells Moses, I am that I am. He's actually saying, you are. 
So Kenneth Copeland makes it about himself. Stephen Furtick makes it about, about his audience. His audience. And therein lies the path to power in ministry. If you want big uh, numbers, make it about everybody else. You know what, Dalton? I want you to just, just, just speaking to that, I want you to, um, you know, we sit in the, this office all the time. We just sermonize. And uh, he, Dalton said something the other day in one of his messages that he was writing. Um, uh, you were going to preach in Arkansas. Um, in reference to, uh, you know, the... the Today's Christianity, mm. you know, our appeal is Jesus will make you uh, healthy, wealthy, blessed, prosperous. You know, this is Jesus. This is Christianity today. But if you would talk to one of the apostles. Oh, yes. Okay. Got it? So Paul, before the apostle Paul became saved, he was, had the equivalent of what would be four PhDs. He had the most affluence. He had the most influence. He had money. He was the guy. He was Paul the, has, he said the Gamaliel. Literally, I he mean, is the man. He's the man. You couldn't get any higher up on the Pharisaical ladder than Paul. Paul goes on this journey on the road to Damascus. He gets blinded. He becomes Christian. And now, just to make ends meet, he's got to make tents. So Paul is going around, and he's getting, he's getting beaten. He's getting laughed at. He's got this thorn in his side. So Paul is now going from town to town talking about his new experience with Christ. And he's literally preaching, Jesus ruined my life, and he can do the same for you. <laughs> That's exactly right. You say, oh, well, Peter. I mean, it's the opposite of prosperity. How'd this work out for you, Peter? Yeah. Crucified oh, they crucified down. me upside down. James, what yeah. about you, bud? Oh, they beat me and they threw me off the temple. What about John? Oh, they, uh, the, they boiled me in tar and then sent me on, on the island of Patmos to be exiled. And the best one, Bartholomew, mm. they filleted your skin off. So, bit by bit. So why don't we uh, join, join Christianity? That and, let, and let Jesus ruin your life. Because <laughs> that really and truthfully is uh, you know, so counter perspective of what Christianity yeah. looks like today. There is yeah. no cross. There's no crucifixion. There's yeah. no blood. There's no sacrifice. Yeah. It's all this, you are God. Yeah. You're, Jesus was a millionaire before he was two years old. And uh, you will be too. And I, yeah. <laughs> Even if you're 40, you'll be a millionaire before you're two years old. <laughs> but like... I think I honestly think if I had to articulate what it is that this has wrong, it's that they're trying to take a people that have laid up their treasures here on earth yeah. and fit Christ in that. That's what it how is. do we how do we fit Jesus? Yeah. The reason we want to make Paul, sure we make it to heaven, right? Exactly. And so how do we how do we make this our best life now? Yeah. And and the reason that that Paul and Bartholomew and Peter and everyone else was so unfazed by what happened here on earth is because their treasures were in heaven. So like the, the condition of their earthly body was completely irrelevant. Man, you, can't, you can't read the New Testament and get this nonsense out of it. Actually, you can't read. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quit. <laughs> Listen, I was just thinking about, um, I was thinking about where um, uh, we listened to uh, a minister recently and, and he said, uh, you know, uh, light, af- light affliction, light affliction, but for a lifetime. And, and I'm trying to remember. Oh, it was John Piper. Yeah, I was trying to remember the, the oh, yeah. scripture. He said <laughs> a lifetime of suffering. Yeah. Only one measly, teensy-weensy lifetime. Yeah. Only, only a lifetime. A, like, even if you live to be 90 years old, only a teensy-weensy, eatsy-bitsy 90 years. See, that's, that's living with eternity in view. That's yeah. not laying up treasures on earth. It's only 90 years. It's only 90 years. You've got eternity to live. Uh, you've got the, I mean, millions and millions of years. Well, eternity, yeah. is un- it's endless. Yeah. But yet we do with this yeah. little tiny blip on the radar called life and we hold everything yeah. dear and we, yeah. we build treasures and, and uh, put our gold here and we want all the yeah. wealth and affluence here, yeah. but really it's there. Right. So that's the reason why yeah. Paul could go through all the stuff that he went through. And, um, and say, for I am persuaded. Yeah, I'm persuaded. Doesn't, I don't the care joy what, of the Lord. I don't care what you do to me. Yeah. You know, and, you and, can kill me. And, and they so did. The, this idea that you're little gods is 
taking a space where there's only room for God and God alone and His triune form, and you're, you're trying to insert man, you're trying to shim and wedge man yep. into a place where there's only room for God. Yep. That's, that's what you're doing. And that's so it. what are we? Well, we're not little gods. I'll tell you what we are. Let's be biblically accurate. Um, whenever we go to define our identity, I'm sure everyone will be thrilled to hear that we're going to the book of Lamentations. <laughs> This is what we are. This is what we are. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots. The work, the work of the potter's, of the potter's hands. hands. So even on your best day, your sinful fallen clay that's, that's been crafted into a pot for the potter's glory. That's right. Only to be redeemed through the blood of his son and his son alone. Yep. We're clay. On our best day, our we best are day. clay. You're not a god. You're terracotta pot. <laughs> that's right. Like, not even one from Pottery Barn, like Walmart bottom shelf pot. <laughs> Dalton's on it today, man. <laughs> That's what we are. We're just clay vessels. And if we ever think ourselves higher than that, then we um, have, we've, we've missed it. Romans 9 verses 20 says, Who are you, old man, uh, to answer back to God? Will that which is molded say to its molder, what if, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right or power over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? We are clay in the Father's hands. We are being molded and shaped and fashioned. We are nothing more than just earth. There's, no, there's nothing else in us except for Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. All praise of progress must go to the potter, Dalton. It can't... We, we, See, this is the, the, the bane of Christianity. We always, of this neo-New uh, Age Christianity, we're pointing the gospel at us when it needs to be the other way. Everything has to be focused. And that's one reason why I love, um, you know, a lot of the old hymns always pointed everything to Christ. We yes. have to praise Him. Yep. And everything so has to Paul, come to him. Paul says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the same preachers that are, are saying that you are little gods are the same preachers that get caught on insider edition of having three private jets. That's okay, it. So there's this correlation right. between greed yeah. and this idea that you're a little god. Right. And so I will end it with this thought, and that is that greed is birthed out of stale worship. Because when you're tired of worshiping him for who he is, right. you begin to worship yourself for who you are. And then, and then your self-worth goes up and you think that you are, uh, uh, you are a little god. When really you're clay, which That's I guess you are. clay can be made to look like a little god. <laughs> like Buddha. <laughs> Buddha. See, that's the overweight one we were talking about in the beginning. <laughs> which, hey, by the way, Buddha actually would have been almost anorexically thin. Yeah, he would. He sure would have. But we must always turn our praise to him. Yeah. Everything has to be focused on Christ. If it is yeah. not, uh, if we don't do it for his no. glory and for our own glory, we've missed it altogether. And I'll leave you with this thought on the subject of grace. If you believe that you're a little God, then you expect yourself to perform like one. Yeah. And because it's not by our own power, because we're not gods, it means that we can lay everything at the feet of Christ. And so we don't have to perform That's like it. a little God because we're it's not one. Not, it's not in our performance. Clay has to perform like clay. That's it. And that simply means just to be moldable. Humble. Submit yourself to the feet of Jesus. He'll mold you. That's right. If you let him. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode of Bookshelf. We'll see you in a few weeks. I hope you're enjoying this. God bless you. Till next time.